Welcome to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. This is a topical podcast where the topics are chosen at random. Sometimes they will be profound, and sometimes they will be stupid. But no matter what, we have a lot to say about them. We are known for the things we do. We become the things we think. We live the things we believe. These are the things we say. Alright guys, uh, welcome back to The Things We Say. I'm Nate. And I'm Sheldon. And today we're going to talk about something that gets me extremely riled up, uh, and that is the subject of history. Uh, But not just history in the sense of history is good and you should know it, uh, but literally why it matters. Why historical context matters for the way that we judge historical figures, and why history matters to life currently. So why everything that happened before affects our now and what we can learn from it? Yes. Or like, yes, you're talking about how we perceive it, like yes, how we view history. All of it. Why history matters. Why history is important. So any particular part of history that you're looking at or just everything that happened on planet Earth before today? Well, I mean, you've got to give it some kind of like... <laughs> you got to put it in some kind of box or else or else you're just going to go into like it's 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 like a rabbit hole like you know the white rabbit in in uh, Alice in Wonderland you can't just go down the rabbit hole cuz you will get lost and and never return uh, but in, in this case you know i think looking at so much of what's happening right now and um you know the the whole you know monument confederate flag thing has kind of tapered off a little bit now it's it's not as hot as it was it was um, really a summer thing. Yeah. Um, because tearing down monuments outside in the cold is not a lot of fun. No, apparently and not. And large co- gatherings right. don't seem to turn out in right. really bad weather. That commitment only goes so far. <laughs> but, um, but because of those things, I've really been just so riled up about people judging historical figures and historical events based on the morality and the views that we have in today's society. So judging someone through the lens of today instead of saying, okay, what was going on? in that time period, at that time, what was that person facing? What was society like then? Because that matters. So we're taking things that we've learned and understood and that we know now, and we're looking back and saying, if this person were alive today and did the things that they did right. then today, right. that would be really bad. Right. But it'd be almost weird to do anything they did back then right. today. Almost everything. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. But but I've I've realized how this matters, not just in a historical sense, knowing American history or whatever, but also in a biblical sense. You know, I've, and, and you've actually experienced this now some too, you know, we've both uh, been through some similar coursework considering the Bible and New Testament and Old Testament and realizing how much even the New Testament changes when you really understand culturally what was happening at that time. Because the Bible doesn't really give a whole lot of insight into a lot of those things. You you suddenly go from the Old Testament and temple worship only and everything except for temple worship was basically condemned to all of a sudden now you, okay, you have a temple, but you're also seeing these rabbinical schools all over the place and you're seeing synagogues and it's no longer a taboo or a problem for people to meet in these places. And we never asked the question why. We never asked what happened in like 300 year span in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, why things were changed. We're like, oh, well, it's just the Bible and we went from one thing to another and there yeah. you go. And, uh, and that was kind of a slap in the face to me because, again, being a massive fan of history, 
<laughs> that sounds like such a strange thing to say, a fan of history. A, a student of history, I guess, is a better word. Um, and loving it so much, I found that I did not let that extend to my biblical knowledge and to my knowledge of, yeah. of especially the New Testament. Um, and that was... I was almost offended by the fact that I, like, I offended myself by not not taking an active interest in finding those things out because it really did transform the way that I viewed the New Testament for sure. And for me, I I like history. I like historical narratives, different stories from different points in history. But I haven't really grabbed a hold of a particular period of history, studied it, drilled down into it, yeah. and and really taken apart all the characters and the storylines, what was going on. So. For me, like the one point in history that I've really studied more than any other would be the biblical history because I've read the Bible several times right. and understand, you know, the main characters, what's all happening. And you're right. I went through this class. I'm looking at New Testament and I'm saying, wow, I didn't understand that, you know, the Greco-Roman influence in Palestine at the time had such a big impact, yeah. not only on the language that Jesus spoke, but the cultural influences and what was considered acceptable, who was really in charge, right. like all of this stuff that was going on. And I'm like, oh, that explains why Jesus's disciples had both like zealots and tax collectors yeah. and uh, just diff a real mix of people, and yet they all seemed to get along. It was mm -hmm. because that place at that time was a real melting pot, right? And a lot of these lines weren't as clear as we'd like to make them, right? You know. Well, and even in even the context of that, you know, we tend to, from a Christian perspective, we look at the Roman Empire and we think, oh, this was some evil thing, this evil empire. In a lot of ways, Rome was legitimate civilization. I mean it really was. It yeah. it brought it brought a lot of of light culturally and 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 philosophically and educationally and in law yeah, as well. To, yeah, to to a lot of areas of the world that were just devoid of those things. And not only that, but they took a lesson from Alexander the Great in that they said you guys can retain your culture, but you're going to we're going to add it to Rome. You know, you, we're not we're not going to tell you you have to do what we do. You know, you're going to pay taxes to us because we protect you or yeah. whatever you want to call it. But you keep your culture, you keep your religion, you keep. We're not going to make you entirely subservient to us. We're we're going to absorb you into what we are instead of dominating you, stripping your resources, and then leaving. Now, of course, they eventually did that to Jerusalem because they kept rebelling. Um, but that was not the way that Rome operated. They had a very a very it was very colonial obviously it was empirical they were they were creating an empire carving out an empire they wanted to rule the world but the way they did it after initial conquering initially conquering a place was not this horrible vile thing like they they were occupiers yes but they they brought the benefits of roman society to that to that nation and there were Jews at the time, and it was probably like one-third, one-third, one-third. Mm -hmm. There was like Jews at the time that wanted to go along with the Greco-Roman influence and were saying, hey, there's some things here that we can learn. We right. want to be a part of our culture. Our culture is changing. We need to move some of this forward. There were some that were clinging to like the the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They both had their own schools of thought, but it's very traditional. It was yeah. rooted in the Torah and, and you know the first five books of our Old Testament. They, they were you know, that was dogmatically followed. And so there was that tension. And then there were people that were worshiping in the synagogues and were still following Judaism, but were hoping for a Messiah that would right. come and save them from 
you know, this overlord rule right. of the Romans. Right. And, and so there were some that were looking for like a rabbinical Messiah, some for like a zealot, right. you know, Messiah. A warrior. In, yeah. Yeah. That would come in and war on their behalf. And then some were just looking for like a king, like yeah. their own, their own king, a governor that, that would be benevolent, that type mm-hmm. of thing. So it, and it was a, and that's why we see so many of that, so much of that stuff wrapped up right. in Jesus. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you is, what does that have to do with monuments? Like you started talking about, right? Monuments yeah, this this kind of I kind of went off um, into this little tangent yeah. about the scripture, but it, it's interesting to me because we're we're getting to this point, and I mentioned it before. You know, we're getting to this point in American society, and I would say Western society because this is happening in Europe, uh, this is happening in Canada. You know, this is this is just becoming a thing where we're looking at historical figures and we're discounting everything about them because of one particular issue that we consider now to be immoral, illegal, or questionable. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in the case of what you're looking at with the monuments and, and with uh, even, even just looking at some of the founding fathers, whether it's Jefferson or Washington, the biggest thing is, is, is the, the, the unforgivable, unforgivable sin, societal sin of slavery. Yeah. They they look at these people. They look at somebody like Thomas Jefferson, and they say, "Well, you know, I know he said all these great things, and I know he had all these great ideas about freedom, ah, but he owned slaves, so none of that matters." That is a huge problem. That is a huge problem because you can't look at that. That's not a realistic way of looking at the person and looking at what they stood for, what they were trying to do, and what society was like at the time. You know, obviously, we know that slavery is an immoral thing. Yeah. That is why it died the death that it did in America. That's why people spilled blood over it because it was a question of morality. But it was legal. Like it was it was not it was not an illegal thing. It was not looked at in the same way that it is now. And honestly, it's even interesting too because so much of what happened uh in this during the Civil War era uh and a little bit before one of the one of the key things that came out was um was uh Darwin's book about evolution. And that suddenly gave people an out for why slavery was okay, because they were, they were looking at, at black people, African people specifically, and saying, well, okay, maybe they're almost human, but they're kind of this evolutionary chain. They're not quite to where we are, and so it's okay for them to be subservient to us. Now we look at that, now that we understand the biology and we understand genetics and all these things, we look at that like, that is insane. Like, that does terrible. not work. Yeah, yeah it's horrible. Yeah. And, and so, but then... That seemed perfectly reasonable. It was a new idea in the vein of something they had heard, yeah. and it was kind of progressing along the same train of thought. Right, yeah. right. And so, again, that that aside, slavery seems to be the biggest issue. But what I struggle with is we don't look at people in context of what culture was, and we just simply judge them by what those actions would be counted as in today's society if they had happened today, and. One of the things that uh, has changed in our culture that a lot of people don't recognize around the time of like late 1800s, early 1900s with prohibition, um, what we discovered in American politics is that up to that point, there hadn't been wedge issues, what I would call wedge issues, where you could put somebody on a campaign trail or wherever and call them out and ask them a question, are you 
for alcohol or against. Mm -hmm. And then you would vote this guy in or out based on his response. Yeah. Whether or not he was a good dude, he was a good lawmaker, and the other guy was completely inexperienced or whatever, it didn't matter as long as they gave the right answer to this question. Right. And it was enough, and people were organized enough and informed enough that they could vote people in or out based on that to the yeah. point that you had a, a Congress that would pass prohibition just to save their jobs. Yeah. And which that never happens. And now. none of them believed in it. There was major alcohol running operations yep. <laughs> into the Capitol building yep. to the people that were voting on this. They were buying alcohol on the black market before and after the vote. Right. Like the, that's what I, I can't get my head around. Like the people in practice didn't believe this, but they were saying what needed to be said to save their jobs. And right. we could vote people in or out on a wedge issue. And so then in the 1920s, it became something else. In the 1930s, it became something else. And when you get to like the religious right movement of the 1980s, yeah. and we were doing the same thing where we were saying, if you say these specific words, we will vote you in. If you don't, we right. will vote you out. Right. And this, this kind of thing did not exist in American politics the way it did in the early 1900s and all the way to today. Yeah. It's starting to go away a little bit more mm, today. Yeah. Where strangely enough, which is weird because, um, believe it or not, Donald Trump is actually kind of pro-choice in a lot of things that he said. Yeah. Before he got elected, now he's moved a little bit more to the right because he's running as a Republican. But he has said some very pro-choice things in the past. Yeah. And so, like, where does he really stand? But that is a wedge issue that you know the whole right is like we vote based on this right. and you will answer the right questions based right. on this. And so when you're looking back at American politics, you can see like, yeah, during the abolitionist movement, some people got voted in or out based on that question. And it kind of framed the North right. a little bit and where Very we were much headed. So. But it wasn't by and large the way they picked politicians. Right. And so we look back and we judge people on say you would have voted for a pro-slave candidate or, right. or something like that, how, well, how you would and, have... And here's, and here's the thing you struggle with. And, let, and again, let me be clear. Let me be very clear. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, about slavery that I condone. I mean, nothing, absolutely nothing. It was a horrible blight on American society well, that, grief, yeah. that was dumped <laughs> on us by, our, by the British when, when they came over here. And, and it, it was not an established American practice. It was a leftover practice. And I would say that the Constitution was designed to kill it. It was. It absolutely was. And, and one of the biggest things that you're going to see in there is the, the three-fifths of a person that you hear talked about so much that was very intentionally done by those who were anti-slavery. Now, you got to remember, and this is a strange thing, if you read their writings, um, you know, Washington and Jefferson, especially Jefferson, was very anti-slavery, even though he owned slaves. Now, that seems like a huge contradiction, and it is, but at the same time, in framing uh, the, the, helping to frame the Constitution, and in, in, in framing the... Uh, the Declaration of Independence, he intentionally put things in there to try to lead to that eventual abolition of slavery. And he tried to make it illegal. He tried to abolish slavery with the initial uh, declaration and with 
the initial forming of the Constitution. But it wouldn't fly. They would not unite because there were enough there were enough pro-slavery and slave owners that they would not unite if that was an issue. Because for them, that was literally looking at them and saying, and saying we're going to completely take away your livelihood, which yeah. again is horribly crass to think about. But it's just the way society was at that time. It's the way that things were, and that's not the way that they that we look back and say, well, that's not the way it should have been, right? And eventually. Morality and people caught up to that. You know, the, I think the morality thing was always there. It always there was always yeah. the question of why this is okay, yeah. but most people who were slave owners just chose to ignore it because that would have radically altered their life in every single way, um, and would have basically destroyed their way of life entirely. Um, and again, I'm not using that as a justification. It's just the reality of what it was in. But it's interesting to me. I've, I've heard people talking about Jefferson, you know, saying, oh, he talked about these great things of freedom, and yet he owned slaves. Again, he, he actively fought for those things. And not only that, I've heard people, and I actually, oh, this is one of my big frustrations, and this goes back to, we talked about before how we both have a great fear of being misunderstood. Yeah. Um, I, uh, Kayla and I went to uh, Mozzicello here, I think it was last year, uh, for an anniversary trip. And we were there, and they brought up some of these issues. You know, the tour guide brought up some of these issues, and she talked about how, uh, how Jefferson, in, his, in, one, in the one book that he published, spoke of, of, the, of black people as a race being deficient or, 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 or less than, you know, white men, and also the same with, with women. And I spoke up, and I said, well, isn't he, wasn't he kind of a product of his time? And at the time, she had transitioned into the issue of slavery overall and, like, freeing slaves, not freeing slaves at, with his death and different things like that. And then I, the crowd got very hostile with me almost immediately that we were on the tour with because they thought I was basically saying, oh, well, slavery is just a product of the time. It's okay because he was, you know, he was – but I was talking about his opinions on women and black people at the time. That was common even for people who believed that slavery was immoral. At the time, those things were very, very common. Yeah. And as in majority and not just in the West, like that was just common. Like that was common knowledge. That was what people thought. They thought it was even most women. Like that's how they thought it was. Didn't make it right, but it made it normal, which is almost more horrifying. But it's true. You got to You got to look at these moments. You got to look at these times and say, what was going on at this time? And why? Why could this person have even existed in this sense? And a lot of abolitionists that actually did go about getting rid of slavery, use Jefferson's words mm -hmm. and use the Constitution very effectively yeah. to mm -hmm. state their cause right. and to say, hey, you know, we have a reason for being here. This this is not who we are as a nation and it needs to stop. Right. And once their voices had grown loud enough, it made a difference <clears throat> and, yeah. and made it to the point that everything was becoming uncomfortable, yeah. you know, and that the status quo was no longer going to exist. Right. And some can say, that Jefferson could have foreseen that day that they would mm -hmm. use his words and that kind of thing, and others would say, "Nah, he, you know, he was just doing what was expedient at the time." Right. We don't know quite what his foresight was there, but um, yeah, it's important to understand people in their historical context. Right. Now, what I like to see is the people that have the unconventional wisdom in those moments mm. that are already thinking ahead and outside the box right. and, and doing things to affect change when the, cult, the prevailing culture at the time 
is doing something that we know is completely wrong. Right. I, I personally feel that someday we will look back on abortion the same way. Without a doubt. And, and say, we were really at a place where this was massive and it was happening on such a large scale. Right. And it was normalized and that, that's, that was okay with right. like everybody. Everybody right. was okay with it. And it's not that everybody's okay exactly. with it. Exactly. There are a lot of people that are not okay with it. And, right. and there's millions of people that are not okay with it. And even people that have gone through it and, and dealt with it and whatever level, you know, there are a lot of people that are still not okay with it, right. even though it's been a part of their life. And eventually we may get to a place in our culture where we say, we look back and we're like, oh, you know, that guy was terrible because yeah. they were for abortion or that guy was a terrible because they were against abortion. But you know how history judge how the future judges us in history yeah right that's what we're doing right now right we're well, looking back at our historical figures yeah. and judging them based on what we know well, now well in the two things you know specifically looking at, at Washington and and uh, and Jefferson you know one of the things that somebody said to me at Monticello when I brought this up was well John Adams never had a slave in his life and he he you know he survived just fine i'm like yeah cuz he came up from he had generations of money and family from he was something like, completely outside of that he that was not even a part of his culture wasn't he near like royalty kind of like he was kind of in government most yeah. of his oh, life oh yeah and he was a lawyer like he had all of these and a guy again a lawyer wasn't what it is now you know we think corporate lawyers it wasn't what it yeah. is now but he had status he had these yeah. things in society whereas for washington he became a slave owner because of marriage he never owned slaves i, I don't believe until he was married and then he was suddenly over his his wife's uh, uh, you know, household and, and the things that she... And I think Jefferson had some kind of connection there, family connection, where he ended up having to take on that. But the interesting thing, too, is state law at the time of, of both Jefferson and Washington's uh, uh, tenure, both in, in po politics and whatever, state law forbade you to free slaves. It yeah. was illegal in Virginia to free slaves outside of a very small window of reasons. And so they were, they literally had their hands tied by that fact. You know, when somebody say, oh, well, they should have just done it anyway. It's not as simple as that. I mean, you ever tried to just not pay your taxes? Have you ever tried to just, you know, whatever, whatever it is, name Something any law. Something that's against state yeah, law. Yeah, name yeah. any law of the land, whether federal or state. It's not as simple as just, well, you just do the right thing. If it's the law of the land, you got a deal. Um, and so people cite Jefferson and say, well, he didn't, he didn't free his slaves. He, didn't do the, he couldn't. Like, he, could only, he couldn't. And he did free some once he died upon his death. And then most of them were sold off to... I'm, I'm also not going out on a limb and saying that Jefferson is any type of saint. Like, no. There was a lot of things that he believed that were a little wacky. No, absolutely. And I believe that he also fathered children by his slaves, which is... That's actually a really interesting thing because the common knowledge is that that's the case because of a DNA study that was done in, I think, 2007 or something like that. But if you get into the details of the DNA study, there is absolutely no proof that it was Jefferson. Because it, what it actually comes down to is that Jefferson's, it was someone from his line that was male. It was somebody that had alleles in common. Yeah. And they basically said, oh, see, in common, it has to be Jefferson. But he had brothers that were around. He had cousins that were around. This, this whole narrative has been assumed without concrete proof that yeah. 
he actually had relations. And he may have. I'm not saying that he didn't, but we don't actually know that. But yeah. the narrative is that we know that. The narrative is that's the way it was. And, and that's not actually as cut and dry as most people would want to say it. So when we get back to like tearing down monuments yeah. and tearing down history because it's not nice. Yeah. Um, so what people are saying is that we want to tear down statues of Robert E. Lee. Yeah. We want to tear down statues of pretty much anyone that owns slaves. Yeah. So tear down the Jefferson Memorial, tear down the Washington Monument, you know, how far do you take yeah, that thing? And that's end? kind of the debate is, uh, are we only going to have statues of good people? And what is good yeah. to a country that doesn't necessarily anymore claim a higher morality? Right. Like, uh, according to whose standards are they good? Right. Um, our, co- our cultural context at the, at the time, right now, where race is a hot button issue. Yeah. So we got to tear down anybody that had a bad view on race relations. Right. So tear them down right, right now. And then say in 20 years, the hot button issues on, I don't know, something stupid, like mm-hmm. what they thought of video games or something. Who are we yeah. tearing down? Like, I don't know. I'm not that I'm equating race with that. It's a real topic. It right. needs to be discussed. But I, I would say you, the monument question always goes back to should there still be like Nazi monuments? Should there be monuments to, you know, despotic regimes mm-hmm. in Russia, in China, yeah. in Japan? Well, you know, I think part of the thing, though, that you need to know about, especially Civil War era monuments, these things came about almost exclusively as part of the healing process between the North and the South after the Civil War. Yeah. What you would have was you would literally have veterans of the war, both from the Confederacy and from the Union, that would get together. You know, whether it was at Gettysburg, whether it was at you know Antietam, they would go to these various places, and they started doing things where like certain groups of Union guys would pay for a monument to the fallen on the Confederate side. Like there was a healing aspect to these things. It wasn't about glorifying somebody or like the hopefulness of like, oh, if only, you know, Lee had... If only we would have won. Yeah, Yeah. it wasn't about that. They were never about that. It was about acknowledging that this is a horrible thing that has happened to us as a society, us as a people, us as a country, and looking at it and saying, okay, it's time to move on and acknowledge the aspects of greatness that were there along with marking the sorrow of what happened. When I walked Gettysburg, and you see the monuments at Gettysburg, mm-hmm. and there's, there's a couple all along the battlefield lines, you know, as you go through the woods, and there's one that I was in front of that said, uh, for Virginia and her sons. Yeah. And it talks about, like, the people, the sons of people from Virginia that died on that field. And I'm like, yeah, this is a Confederate monument. And yet I'm moved by this. Yeah. Like, because it's still America. It's still American. Yeah. And yes, there was tons of blood spilled on that field. And we are grateful today that the result was what it was. Right. And, and yet after the war, you still had people whose fathers, brothers, cousins had all died in this conflict and they needed a way to commemorate and memorialize their life and their death and their struggle. And 
so they would put these monuments basically as grave markers and saying, you know, these people died here and yeah. I, w- I want them, I want their memory to matter. Yeah. And so we would come along and tear down that monument and say, yeah, but they were on the losing side and they were wrong. Yeah. Yeah. They, but here's, here's my whole thing with monuments. Mm-hmm. Was your victory really a victory if it wasn't against a real opponent? Mm. Don't you have to have some idea of the evil that you overcame in order to have an identity? That's why a lot of Jewish people have invested tons of time and money into preserving like Auschwitz and preserving the death camps in in, uh, Germany. It's not a monument to Nazis. It's a monument to we overcame this. We survived this and we will survive anything that comes our way. And so... I would say that today it is important to have Confederate markers and Union markers mm-hmm. and say there was a real war fault here. Yeah. There were buildings <clears throat> destroyed. There were homes destroyed. There were people, entire family lines destroyed that no longer exist today because we fought a war over this. Yeah. And yes, right, the right side won. We believe that. Absolutely. But it was over a real opponent. Yeah. And over a real force of right. of culture and business and uh, trade and livelihood and the reasons that people were on the other side were various um, yeah. and and but it was still a real opponent. It was a motivated opponent. It yeah. was an opponent that really had the capability of destroying the union. Yeah, and that's the other side of the of World War II as well. It's like you look at that and you say, so we tear down all the World War II monuments and we only leave the monument standing of the side that won. Our future generations are going to look back and be like, great, like must have been easy to toss yeah. Hitler out of Germany. He didn't yeah. have anything. We don't really yeah. see anything that, well, that they had. We don't, we don't see like General Lee. General Lee is a real great example. Yeah. Dude was a great general and beating him took a lot to beat him. Yeah. And it was, and he, he, he served with honor. He ended with honor. And it was like, it was like, if you did not have as a formidable opponent as general Lee, how great was your cause? Yeah. What did you fight for? Like, yeah. did you just push over a paper tiger? Like, <laughs> what happened? Yeah. You know, it's, did you just knock over a straw man or did you actually win a real victory? Well, here? And, and not only that, but people forget things like the Civil War have not happened very often. You know, it's, it's one thing to look at, at, at World War II and say, okay, we, we saw an aggressive force and the world united against that aggressive force and defeated it. And then everything just had went back to normal. We occupied, we did all these things, we had, you know, we, we whatever. To the winner goes the spoils, essentially. Yeah. The winners get to write history. Right. The Civil War was different. And I would say the Civil War in England was different as well. You know, back when that happened, you know, way, way further back than our Civil I War. I knew nothing about that. Oh, yeah, that overthrew the monarchy and... and Oliver Cromwell, all that stuff established. Yeah. I should have studied British yes, history that's, more. Yes, that's actually <laughs> Cavaliers and Roundheads. Um, but the, the thing is, is we went from being a unified place, a family of sorts, to enemies, to then having to be a family again. It wasn't the, the victor and the defeated. It was, and now we have to come together again. That 
is distinctly unique about any type of civil conflict like that. And so you look at the Civil War and you look at the issue of monuments, you look at why some of these people are revered and why some of these people are held in honor still, it's because they came through these things and then when it came back around, came back together and said, this is done, this is over, and, and, now, and now we move on with our lives and we try to restore. Because everybody, there were no winners in, in, after the Civil War. There weren't. Even, even, I would say, a lot of the slaves at the time that were, that were released, you know, that was not necessarily a good thing for them because they didn't know, they didn't have anything else. They didn't know, yeah. they didn't know what released to do. They what? had no place like in that. society. Yeah. They, had, like, they had to start from nothing. And most of them ended up being sharecroppers in the very plantations that they were freed from, just as in bondage as they were before they were legally freed. Yeah, life was real hard, not only for the people of the South, but the freed slaves and the and people of the North. And I mean, it took North. another hundred years before, before black people in America actually started to get the things that they were constitutionally guaranteed. Yeah, and and a lot of that hundred years before. Yeah, and a lot of that, if you get into the Jim Crow laws and all that thing, a lot of that was reaction. And, and it's so easy to just chalk those things up as racism now, but it's, it's so much more complicated than that. Because a lot of what happened there was reaction to um, the oppressive nature of how the North then restructured, you know, the, the restructure of the South after, after everything was said and done. Um, it's, it's very interesting if you get into the history of that, that as soon as, as soon as, the slaves were, were, were set free. They were instant voters for the Republican Party. Instantly. Yeah. Because this was the party that had set them free. The party Why not? Why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. And so therefore, you had these states that were primarily Democratic states previously, and your old school Southern Democratic states, that were now starting to be controlled by a new population of people who now had voting rights, who never had it before. And so the people that were in these counties reacted very poorly to this instead of accepting that things needed to change, needed to be ad adapted to, because the Reconstructionists were hardcore shoving this down their throat. You guys lost. You guys need to pay a penalty. You guys need to suffer for this. They reacted to that. And, 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 and it wasn't even about black people having rights or not rights. For most people, it was... You're trying to shove this down our throat? No, we're not going to yeah. take this. We're going to use the power of the state legislature to counteract what you're trying to do to us. And again, it ended up being this steaming hot mess that should not have been. And if Lincoln had survived, I, don't, I legitimately don't think it would have been that mess because he wanted it to be about unification. He wanted it to be about coming back together and, yeah. and healing the wounds that had been caused by this horrible conflict. And it had been caused by generations of slavery. He wanted to heal these wounds. And then he was assassinated, and the people who came up after him were like, no, we're going to beat these people down for what they've done, even though they'd all suffered horrible things just as a result of this war happening. And, and so, man, that really, I'm sorry, I'm getting all worked up about this. But there's so many things that we view as a, as a, in history, and we simply look at the microcosm of race, or we look at the microcosm of sexism, and, and it's so much more than that. Yeah. Again, we look back at it now, we just pick, like you said with the abortion issue, you know, 150 years from now, people are going to look back at this and say, wow, this was so barbaric, I can't believe everybody thought this was okay. Well, not everybody thinks it's okay, and uh, honestly, it's probably more the majority don't think it's okay, but more not afraid, you know, more afraid to talk about it and tackle it because of how they'll be perceived. But our society will be judged by the most horrible thing we ever did. Yeah. 
and 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 that is what we will be we will be viewed as you know again same with the romans you know they looked at these horrible oppressive conquerors instead of look at all the things that we still have in society thanks to roman culture thanks to greek culture and it, a lot of it is because the winners write history mm -hmm. and and you see that a lot in modern wars <laughs> and you say the people that won this war got to write the history and the people that lost did not right and we wonder what our world would look like and we explore that in some tv shows and, yeah. and stuff now like man in the high castle it's like what would have happened if the nazis would have won what would what would have happened if you know something else would have gone a different way yeah and i would i mean for me, yes, the winners write history, but we need to keep that in mind yeah. when we're reading history. And so much stuff has been taken out of our history books yeah. and, and viewed in a different light now than it was. And I don't know. My daughter is in fifth grade, and she hasn't learned all the presidents. Yeah. Yet. And I'm like, why is that? Like, we used to really revere the presidency and it was one of the first things that you were taught and it was like mm -hmm. these are all the presidents and you get to learn them. maybe it's just the school system that she's in yeah but i do feel like there are certain things today that we are not emphasizing as much because it's not as emphasized in our culture yeah and i don't know i i just for me when i look at history i i want us to grasp it as a whole real living story yeah and not just like these people won these people lost and we're glad the right. good side won or right. we're really sad the bad side won right. you know and that's the thing is is and this is why history to me is so important and why i get so passionate about it is because if you don't understand even in a personal sense if you don't understand somebody's story if you don't understand their history if you don't understand where they've come from you cannot judge them you cannot even have relationship with them and so, like, you know, part of how you and I have any kind of friendship is because we have a personal history together, obviously, yeah. but also I've learned about who you are. I've learned about where you've come from. I've learned about your family. I've learned about yeah. your roots, and you've done the same with me. And that gives context for the relationship that we have. Without that, we might not even talk to each other because we wouldn't understand that we have similar passions. We wouldn't yeah. understand that we've had similar experiences or completely you know, dissimilar experiences. I just remembered one thing I was going to say when you were talking about the Confederate monuments and stuff. One thing that growing up in eastern Pennsylvania, I was north of the Mason-Dixon line. Yeah. And I always, and this is going to get into the Confederate flag issue. Yeah. But I have always just personally held the opinion the people waving around the Confederate flag in the north makes no sense to me. Yeah. Like, your grandfather didn't die under that flag. Your great-grandfather... Nobody in your family line probably right. died under that flag. In fact, you probably have some Union people that spill blood against that flag. So you going and waving it around to be some sort of moron <laughs> just proves that you're a moron. Right. And But on the other side, I've always kind of respected, and this could sound bad to some people, but I've always kind of respected the people in the South in their in their view of it and they're being able to hold it and keep it around and yeah. whatever like to have their their own flag and i'm like and incorporating it into some of their other flags like i always just kind of understood well that's because they were part of the south it's part of their identity right. their grandfathers or great grandfathers died under that flag and i'm like to me i'm like it wasn't offensive for a southern person to have the flag but a northern person just seemed really odd. Like, you're just trying to be offensive. Yeah. And that's personally how I thought about it, 
just growing up. Now, I have, I, I do see how today where when people try and have gone in and tried to take away the flag from people, now there is a visceral reaction yeah. on the other side where people are like, no, it's my flag and the South will rise again and all this garbage. And now you do see the worst yeah. of that side well, coming out because you've gone in and said, your flag is not okay. It's not allowed, right. You're not allowed to have it. You're not allowed to wave it. You're not allowed to incorporate it in anything. Right. We need to totally take away not only your history, but your place in history and your ability to celebrate any sort of heritage that you might have because it offends other people. We're going to take it away. And so then the reaction is more extreme. Yeah. And some people would say it reveals the true nature of why they have the flag. And I'm not even going to debate that. Yeah. You could, you could easily say that. You could easily say it's because it's a race thing and they, they want to continue to perpetuate racism. And maybe because most of the common sense people have just been like, well, it's not really worth the fight. And if I do have one, I'll yeah. preserve it quietly or whatever. And, yeah, and kind of mark it quietly because right. they just don't care to get into it's, the fight. It's interesting to but me, though, too. But the fire brands that rush out there want right. to get in the fight. And but it's it's interesting to me, though, too, though, that that when, when, when it becomes a hot-button issue like this, you have people pick it up and take it as a mantle when they don't actually care about it. Yeah. Like, to them, it's about the larger narrative of free speech. It's about the larger narrative of of somebody's individuality, their right, their heritage, whatever. And you'll have people in the North who will now like, yeah, I'm going to wave a Confederate flag because I think these people are jacked up for trying to take this away from this person. So in solidarity, I'm going to hang a Confederate flag. And I'm like, okay, I get it where you're coming like from. It's a dumb argument. It, 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 take, it, but. It, it is. A, it, it, and, but I'm saying that's what happened. You get more polarized in those kind of things because, yeah. you know, you you just get the people who want to want to kick back at whatever the seeming norms of society are and want to fight back at it. But... Kind yeah. of when you create a movement, you automatically create a counter movement. Exactly. And people don't understand that because then you create a movement this way and you automatically create a counter movement. And then you point at that counter movement and say, that's that's a self-fulfilling prophecy of what we're talking about. Right. And it, right. <laughs> it just it goes on and on. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's it's interesting, too, because, again, we, we look at we look at the abolitionist movement. And we when we revere it now, you know, it's looked at as this wonderful thing. Oh, yeah. we all would have been abolitionists. There were a lot of really extreme, really horrific people in the abolitionist movement. I mean, and I mean, like you look at like your 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 John Browns, for example, who literally slaughtered people who were slave owners. And I don't mean that in the exaggerated sense. I mean literally. I mean literally butchered people because they were slave owners. And he he envisioned this uprising of slaves that were going to come out and and not just set them free, but turn around and destroy the people who had kept them in servitude, which I get it in yeah. terms of a feeling like there's some a resistance, kind, but it was in, it was in like a, we're going to wipe them all out mentality. And, and, you know, he ended up being hung <laughs> eventually, uh, caught and hung. And, and that turned him into a bit of a, of, of, of a martyr for the abolitionist movement. But there were some really extreme elements of the abolitionist movement in as much as you have but there, you know, there's, there's good and bad people on both sides exactly. of almost every conflict that, that you right. can point to. You look at World War II and we're like, yeah, we're glad the Nazis were defeated. But some people, like, we're really kind of conflicted on the atomic bomb. Yeah. Like, yeah. that effectively ended it. Right. Well, and, and that's yet, even the thing you get into. It's like so many people today, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, Germany, they were Nazis. Well, no, not all Germans were Nazis. 
No. Very few, actually, Germans were Nazis, but it was the party of power. It was the party that existed, and that's why you had so much inner conflict there, because you had people who didn't care for Hitler, didn't care for what the Nazi regime was doing, but they loved Germany. Germany was their home. Germany was their, like, that was their place, and they were going to fight for it. And you see the same thing in the Civil War. The majority of people who fought in the Civil War for the South were not slave owners and were too poor to own slaves and never, never had. And that, but they were, they, Virginia was their home. South Carolina was their home. That's a good point. Like, at what point, if you were on a farm, you didn't have any slaves, you were too poor, you had like, you know, 50 acres, whatever. Yeah. And all of a sudden there's Union troops that want to burn your farm to the ground. Yeah. At what point do you pick up weapons? Right. And or do you just say, oh, that side's good as your right. farm burns to the ground and they kill your sons? Yeah. Like, is that okay? And and in the <laughs> end, that's what it comes down to. History is so much more complex than we try to turn it into now. Yeah. You know, we try to turn it into this nice, neat little pill of, like you said, good and evil. These people were bad. These people were good, and the good people won. And so that's all that matters. But it's so much more complicated than that, and it's so much more textured than that. And 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 again, for me, I look at it. I connect with history because I see the people. I see it as people. I see it as individuals who lived through something, who experienced something, who had yeah. to walk through something. And they were like me. You know, they were like you. They were like anybody in the world. They, they, they were reacting to the things that were happening around them and dealing with them as they came. And again, in, in the issue of the Civil War, you know, so little about it, of it was about slavery. Yes, it was about slavery, but it was about so much more than that on both sides. On both sides. And and to reduce the Confederacy to a bunch of racist bigots is is intellectually dishonest and lazy. And and I get so I get so if I ever get offended, I get close to being offended by people who just want to chalk people up to the lowest common denominator or judging an entire society by the worst thing that they did. Uh, that being said, I do think there's a place for the conversation to happen now. Without like, a doubt. Where do we want to go as a country from here forward? Without a doubt. Like at some point, it's been long enough. And I, I do feel like that that's where the conversation is and could be if we weren't tearing down monuments yeah. and, and trying to just blank out portions of history. Yeah. I feel like we do need to have a conversation, and mm -hmm. that's part of why we do the things we say. We need to talk about this to kind of spur Absolutely. debate and argument and, and to talk these things out verbally so we can find out where we're at. But we do need to have a conversation about where we want to move yeah. in our country. Are we going to continue to vulnerate the differences between the North and the South? Are we going to continue to... Uh, exalt the differences between white people and black people? Or are yeah. we going to look for ways that we can heal our nation? And what does that mean? Does it right. mean that one side gives up their emblems? And is that worth it? Yeah. You know? And to me, I'm like, yeah, they're not my emblems, but right. I see it as a fairly noble cause to say, you know what? If this offends my brother, I'm going to lay it, I'm going to lay it aside. Yeah. Um, and there, for me, there are a lot of things that I might believe in or I might like or whatever that I might not choose to wave in front of your face because it might offend mm -hmm. you. You know what? Because I care more about the relationship yeah. than I care about the emblem or a particular thing. So, yeah, we do need to have conversations in this country about what brings people together. Mm -hmm. And to me, I think coming together in prayer, coming together to talk about these things, um, just trying to find a way 
like you said, Lincoln was looking for to, yeah, we fought and there was division yeah. and now we need to come together as a family again. Right. And I feel like the same thing from the civil rights movement, there was a huge fight. Yeah. And I'm glad we are where we are today. Yeah. And that there isn't that division there. But rather than continuing to exaggerate the divisions, I want to look for a way that we can move to a place where we can be brothers again. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And without having to see those things first. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, as a culture, I think today we write our own history. Yeah. And we do live in a messy environment. Mm-hmm. And there's stuff on both sides. And, and there's reasons that we are here, just like our historical figures. Yeah. And there's reasons why we are here, but it's where do we go from here? And when we leave a place that's yeah. better for our children. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's a little microcosm of, I guess my challenge to you guys, you know, listening to this. And, and again, I know I, I, I get really passionate about this subject, but it's because I've, I've lived with history. I've immersed myself in history a lot. And so when I see it misrepresented so often, whether it's in the media or, heaven forbid, on social media, you know, I, I really struggle with it. So I, I just want to challenge you guys. Um, take a look at the surrounding events of what was going on in particular moments of history. Pick a person, uh, whether it's somebody from American history or somebody, you know, from, from any, any, any historical figure. Um, and really look at what their life was like. Really look at the things, not just the one issue that they were known for, but look at the other things about them. Look at the other things that were going on at the time. And I guarantee you, you're going to come away with a different view of that person and still hold them in some kind of reverence. I mean, I know for me, one of the, one of the most, it wasn't even disillusioning, but one of the in- most interesting things to me was doing research on Martin Luther King and realizing that he was not the most moral guy in the world. Like he, he was known to be a womanizer. He was known to cheat on his wife. You know, there were all these things, but he still did great things. Yeah. And, and God still used him respect. unbelievably yeah. so. Yeah. And so should his entire effort and his life's work and his legacy be discounted because of the things that he did that were morally questionable? I don't think so. I, I find I look at that and I say he was human. He had flaws and yeah. ones that should have been dealt with in my opinion that he should have got a rein on, but he didn't. It was it was what it was. What happened and, was what happened. And that's what we were talking about, just respecting yes. Respecting the people of history instead of, you know, calling them down and saying why you know, but looking into why they did what they did and even if they were wrong, being able to respect that opponent like generally to being yeah. it, it it's not it's not bad to say you respect right you know where he came from why he did what he did i mean yes he lost and that's good from where we're at today yeah but <laughs> we need to be able to respect where they came from and i don't know not so much reverence i wouldn't say but just having yeah. a healthy idea of why they did what they yeah. did who they were and why and again, even some of the most evil people in history that we would say are the most evil people in history, when you get into their stories and you find out what, not what caused them to do that, but what their life was like leading up to these things, it changes the view and, and it humanizes them. And that's necessary. We've got to come to a place where we can look at historical figures, good or bad, and actually understand that they were human, 
that they had flaws, they had positives, they had good things, they had bad things about them, regardless of what their overall, what they're known for in the end. Because that's the thing in our culture, to dehumanize mm-hmm. people and reduce them to a meme or to a caricature of their yeah. of themselves, and to, like, on both sides, Trump or Hillary, like, you can demonize both of them and, yeah. and turn them into a an angry demon that neither one of them really are. Yeah. Like there is, a, there is a human that puts their pants on one leg at a time, just like you do every morning. And yeah. they do things for different motivations. And yeah, there's, there's spiritual elements, there's cultural elements, there's, you know, there's historical elements to every single one of us Yeah. that makes us who we are. So, yeah. yeah. So anyway, again, I know this has been more of a rant than anything else by me. So, uh, yeah, yeah, for what it's try worth. Try not to take these sound bites out of context and oh, use them to beat us with. I don't care if you try it because I'll be able to, I, I'll go nose to nose with anybody about these things and have a civil conversation and we'll still be friends after it's over. At least as far as I'm concerned, we'll still be friends. We just like over. to humanize each other a little yes. more and yes. historical figures. Yeah. <laughs> so again, pick somebody, learn about their life, learn about the circumstances that were happening and then make a, make a call about the things they did and why they did them and whether or not what they did was as questionable as evil or as whatever is or as good or as good as you thought it was. So again, here on the things we say, this has been why history matters. Uh, please talk to us about this in the comments. We want to hear your thoughts. Uh, I'm sure there will. I'm be sure comments. there will be comments. But yeah, keep it civil as always. You know, we're trying to have a discussion. We're not trying to yell and scream and and beat each other up over anything. But uh, this is very important to me. This is a subject that's huge to me. And Sheldon has indulged me in letting me rant about this, and I appreciate that. Uh, But, yeah, this has been The Things We Say. Uh, We'll see you guys next time. Thanks a lot. Thanks for joining the conversation today. The Things We Say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.